0: The Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government. Okay, thanks very much for for joining us, Nigel. Um, Firstly, um, let me thank you officially for agreeing to speak to the Farm Advisory Service. Uh, we're very lucky to to have you with us, um, albeit virtually. I wonder if you could uh, give our listeners a a bit of background on yourself and uh, give an overview of the kind of projects that you've been involved in, Nigel.
1: Certainly, yes. Well, thanks very much for having me. So um, I'm uh, talking with you from Oxfordshire, the Chiltern Hills in Oxfordshire, and uh, I actually grew up here. I was the son of a a farm manager on uh, a 1200 acre farm. And then um, when I started to look at a career. I started work on a local nature reserve, which was for an organisation called Nature Conservancy Council, all those many years ago, which is of course now Natural England. Um, And I really got into that, um, worked on the reserve for some years and then worked for the National Trust in the Chilterns as a warden, various periods as a tree surgeon, fencing contractor and stuff like that, Um, back to the trust. And then I moved down to Dartmoor um, as area warden for south Dartmoor. And then was promoted up to being head warden for the whole of Dartmoor for National Trust, but that was a step too far for me. I was stuck behind a desk doing budgets and health and safety and all that stuff. So I actually gave up the job and moved back to my beloved Chilton Hills. And um, I am self-employed now and I do a range of what I call countryside management tasks. Um, I have got 150 ewes, which I graze a chalk grassland uh, nature reserve with. Um, I do a lot of fencing. Um, creating wildflower meadows writing management plans for hedgerows and stuff like that and hedgerows has in fact become my main i suppose speciality really um uh, i sit on a group called hedgelink which is a um, collection of different organizations and individuals we meet three or four times a year and discuss and implement uh, um, policies agri-environment policies of hedgerows um We um, grant aid uh, research, and I've been lucky to be involved in various research projects which looked at hedge trimming and rejuvenation of hedges. Um, And quite a lot of research has gone on, so I'm very much, uh, very much into hedgerows. Um, And um, here I find myself now doing lots of talks all over the country. I'm off to Dorset tomorrow to do a um, farm training course um, on hedgerow management, and it's something I very firmly believe that we have to improve our. Our hedgerow management, really.
0: And Nigel, I think you'll agree that there's been a lot of talk about climate change and biodiversity decline, two topics which have kind of shot up the agricultural agenda in the last year. Can you talk a little bit about why hedges are valuable in the fight against climate change and biodiversity decline, and specifically, why are they important to us? Well, it's a very
1: fundamental question, isn't it? And we've seen such a huge increase in the importance of hedgerows um, in policy and in in the public view and agricultural view, really. Um, They, I think, give us so much and so easily, really, in in the sense that they surround us. They they define our countryside, I think, uh, to a great extent, along with dry stone walls. But hedgerows... um, offer so many environmental services to us and, and as you know by environmental services I mean things that um, provide us with a service which could be anything from flood protection to stopping pesticides um, entering the water course um, sh- providing shelter for livestock um, wildlife corridors fruit blossom for the wildlife the, the list goes on and it's, it's interesting that if you look at all the agro-environment um, policies or options, shall I say, when you look at the amount of environmental services that a habitat can provide, the the, the, the ordinary lowly hedgerow provides more environmental services than any other environment, any other habitat. So uh, that's quite amazing. Um, all that you listed, the biodiversity, um, landscape importance, cultural and historic importance, um, for example, Birds, farmland birds, are, you know, it's always a problem with their declining numbers. And twenty-one of the rarest uh, uh, farmland bird species are associated with hedgerows. And um, sixteen out of the nineteen birds used by government to to assess the state of farmland um, birds are associated associated with hedgerows. Um, soil and water management—they they stop water um, soil erosion. The list goes absolutely on and on. And of course, the latest interest very much is in Carbon storage um and it's early days in a sense, looking at um how much carbon hedgerows store, but it but it clearly will be of some significance, both in storing both in the woody structure above ground in the roots below ground and indeed storing carbon in the undisturbed soil beneath the hedgerow is going to be quite significant. We have to be a little bit careful with that in in the sense that of course, as I hope we're going to go on to talk about, you have to manage hedges and that does involve cutting things down and in some way using that um you know either for firewood or just bonfires or whatever that there is a a sort of a a loss when you eventually rejuvenate the hedge of carbon but nevertheless there's a net gain of carbon storage in the hedge beneath the hedge and in the ground and and it's early days but there's a lot of research going into that and and that's really going to help um farmers um get towards that carbon neutrality, which I know is on the horizon that uh, we want to try and achieve. So hedgerows are, on one hand, incredibly simple things that surround us everywhere, but they offer so much. uh, To me, it's quite amazing.
0: Certainly from a a climate and and biodiversity standpoint, I've always advocated that hedges are a good alternative to some of the environmental options that are out there that might be seen to be compromising for the productivity on your farm, um, so I don't know how much you, you agree with that. Um, but you mentioned there, Nigel, um, hedges obviously need management. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about um, the the management of these hedges um, and and what's what's available um, in
1: terms of management? Well, management is the crucial thing, you know, I like to think of, of hedges as a kind of linear woodland edge. If you think about the edge of a forest or a wood, um, in a natural world, shall I say, um, it will be full of those scrubby, shrubby species. It's the transition between high forest and open grassland. And that's where you get your biodiversity kind of peak in those woodland edges. And, you know, essentially we're trying to use those woodland edge species, the shrubs in, in a line, um, to, okay, their original purpose was to keep animals in or out of fields, in fact, and, and that may not be the case with wire fences these days. But nevertheless, there is this network of woodland edge, if you look at it like that. And of course, the important thing with any woodland edge is it wants to change. Nature wants to either take it to high forest, or if grazing pressures by wild animals are great, then it would push it back to, you know, break it down. So it's a dynamic uh, entity a woodland edge, and it's exactly the same for a hedge. It is a dynamic entity. Uh, nature wants to turn it into a line of trees, effectively, but for many reasons, we want to have it as a shrubby uh, wildlife corridor. And so, there is the management. What is our most common management? I suppose we can safely say it's the it's the flail machine, which 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 you know is is fine, the ubiquitous flail machine. But of course, we when the flail machine came along, I believe we kind of lost a, a little bit of something. Most hedges on farms were periodically laid as a, I'm taking great Britain as a whole here um, they were laid to keep the hedge stockproof but one of the most important byproducts of that of course was they were rejuvenating the hedge the new growth would come up from the base and start off what I would call the life cycle once again um, along came the flail machine in late 40s 50s perhaps and perhaps we all sat back and said well that's it we're sorted now we don't have to lay the hedges anymore we can just just You know, flail them every year, keep them tidy. And that's been fine for a certain amount of time. But you cannot keep a hedge in any state, given state. If it's a short hedge, if it's a tall hedge, whatever, wherever it is in this life cycle of a hedge, you can't hold it there. Nature wants to move it on. It wants to do something. And one of the worst things that happens is when we over trim a hedge. We cut it at exactly the same height. A lot of them about four foot ish. Uh, for the last 40 or 50 years and they are starting to suffer greatly it's interesting to to look at our hedges in in a sense that we've probably two main types in this country one would be an ancient species rich hedge Um, I I can only speak forgive me down here in England but that would be places like you know the southwest of England Kent um, into Wales in fact old ancient countryside um, small field systems the french would call it the bocage, i suppose but those are the species rich hedgerows and of course the open field systems that was right the way up through the center of of the united kingdom they were um, hedged during the enclosure acts of the sort of 18th and 19th centuries and they were usually pure hawthorn and i do feel that it's the hawthorn hedges now that are, are starting to struggle with this idea of being trimmed at exactly the same height um, and we'll perhaps touch on that a bit more in a minute. The other extreme, of course, to overtrimming is um, neglect, is it, it, people just leaving a hedge alone, you know, until it becomes a line of hawthorn trees or or trees. And and whilst they are still, you know, important, you're you're losing that shrubby um, uh, state of of a hedgerow. And in the last countryside survey, which was in two thousand and seven where they looked at pretty well everything in the countryside, um, the hedges hedge results were quite interesting. We had a, a net loss of 6.2% of managed hedges over the previous 10 years. And that was mainly through over-trimming, forcing hedgerows to become gappy and hollow at the bottom and pretty well giving up and neglect where they've turned into lined of trees and they're no longer recorded as a hedgerow. About 50% of hedgerows were in good structural condition in 2007. Um, 31% of managed hedges were in good uh, structural condition and had appropriately managed margins. But when you looked at arable areas, and those by definition would almost certainly be what I call the enclosure hedges, the hawthorn hedges, only 12% of hedges in an arable environment where um had with an appropriate managed margin that's only 12 percent were in good condition and that's that's that is kind of quite shocking really and it just goes to show how management is so important we can't trim a hedge at the same height forever and ever and expect it to survive nor can we neglect it and expect it to continue being a shrubby nice hedge um so that is my main purpose of a lot of the talks i do is to try and um persuade I suppose but just allow people to to open their eyes a little bit and just see to ask themselves well what is happening to my hedge at the moment and, and where do I want it to be
0: Nigel that was really fascinating stuff can you just elaborate a little bit more on on trimming regimes um, and and perhaps um touch on the development of, of fruits and and uh and and forage within the hedge
1: yeah certainly um I think, I suppose, maybe 10, 15 years ago, um, policymakers started to see that by trimming every single year to the same height, um, there was we were really getting rid of any potential blossom and or fruit in any year, because it's a kind of a fact, really, that you don't get blossom set or fruit forming on one year growth. Um, if you are seeing any in the hedge that you're trimming tightly every year, then it's probably because there's a little indent in the hedge side where you know the flail's not knocking it off. Um, and I was as I think I said in my introduction involved in a research project um, some years ago now which was which looked at all the trimming regimes because the policymakers then said, okay, well we're going to start um paying something to farmers to trim every second year or even every third year because you know you get you get more berries. Um, so that that went into operation and at the time quite a lot of money I think for the two-year trim regime and it was about £34 million a year was being paid for that which was great in principle but we quickly found in our research that what was happening was um, a farmer was entering into the two-year trimming regime um, and wanted to trim his or her hedge in at the end of harvest you know it's the ideal time to get on dry ground as soon as the combine's leaving the field then get in with the hedge trimmer so let's let's follow that let's say we've done it year one we've trimmed it in September trim the hedges Uh, we go through the winter there's no berries fruit on on that hedge Um, get to the next spring there will be very, very almost literally no blossom on those hedges especially you know things like hawthorn hedges stuff like that. Um as, then we go through to the following year we're not cutting the following September we're going to there's going to be some fruit on that hedge not a lot but some and then we're going to go through to the second year and then of course um the temptation was to cut that hedge again in the second year in September once again post harvest but of course that was completely wiping out any gains of fruit forming on that second year wood and once again there was no fruit there um for overwintering birds that wasn't quite happening in the three year regime of course um same first year second year would be the same but in the third year um fruit would be forming the sort of maximum amount of fruit in a sense but of course once again that was being cut off in the september dry ground weather you know um so that wasn't working out really we couldn't really justify that so now um with the two-year regime, people are asked, and indeed the three-year regime, people are asked to delay their cutting to the end of winter, to the you know just before March the first kind of thing, as late as they possibly can, so that that store of berries that you've, you've produced um is available. The slight downside of that is, of course, you know you, you're you you're counting on the fact that you can get onto the land at the end of winter. You know, it's not always um, playing the game. You know, sometimes it can be incredibly sort of wet. Um, but we looked at this conundrum of trimming really um a lot of landowners i know didn't like the three-year regime because of course you're cutting pretty big stuff in the southwest of england for example you know you can easily get um, a goat willow or something like that three meters plus tall believe it or not you know and a good sort of inch and a half or something at the base and of course the the smashing effect of when it was um, eventually cut uh, was was pretty horrendous so we set up um, five sites across um england in this case um, and uh uniform hedges on each site we had replica plots of 13 meters and um, we treated each 30 meters with a different treatment um annual hard cutting like really you know hard cutting like people like to do um trimming every two years trimming every three years um trimming each year in september and then each year, some sections were in February, same with the two years, autumn and late winter, three years, autumn, and late late winter, and, we, and everything was counted, the blossom, the berries, the insect visits on the flowers, the structure of the hedge. It was a pretty intense um, piece of research. But I, I actually threw something into the pot, where, which was, you know, why don't we slightly incrementally back off from the hedges, ever so slightly when we're cutting, what would happen then? We called it incremental trimming. And, and the results of that, um, were really, really positive. So, even if you wished to cut every year, just back out a little bit, which instantly improves the condition of the hedge. It almost like it lets it breathe, almost really. But just behind the cut line, you will get um, significant amount of berries. Not huge amounts, but you'll get significant amount of berries each year. Whereas, you know, if you're in the three year cutting regime, you'd get nothing in the first year, some in the second year, and and you know, you're only getting a full crop. Once every three years, and same with the two-year cutting regime, you'd only get full crop in the second year. With incremental trimming, you're getting an amount each year on you know on average. No barren years; you're always going to get something. The bonus of that incremental trimming was that you were improving the condition of the hedge, a um, really wonderful sort of face on the hedge. If you see what I mean, you're not smashing it back in; it's just like flicking along it with the hedge trimmer. And so we looked at all the results, and clearly three-year. Uh, trimming had a lot of berries two-year trimming had some annual trimming really had none but the incremental trimming as i say had quite a lot each year and and that's really become a really great selling point say okay you want to trim your hedges just back off them a little bit each tiny you know a tiny bit each year now the and and by the way you know in two-year and three-year trimming you you literally get three or four times the amount of berries that you would get on on an annual trimmed hedge. It's a significant difference. Um, One of the things people always then say is, well, it's all very well, I'm incrementally increasing the height of my hedge every year by a couple of inches, but my hedge is gonna get really, really tall. And I would say to them, yes, it will, but you won't, you won't have beaten it into submission. You'll still have lots of healthy stems in that hedge. So eventually you have options of how to rejuvenate that hedge. There's enough stems in there to coppice it from to ground level and up it comes again, starts the life cycle again, or it could be laid if you wished it to be because there's healthy stems. It's only when you have these overtrimmed hedges, you know, three foot, six, four foot tall, which are becoming really, really gappy and the stems are all gnarled and rotting, but you haven't got any options. You can't let it up to lay because they're they're all rotten around the base. Um, They're too gappy. You'd have to plant up the gaps. You know, every hedge was planted with lots of stems. It's only overmanagement that's kind of wiped these amount of stems out. So the beauty of incremental trimming is it starts to feed into this life cycle. You're allowing the hedge to slowly develop in a managed way through time um, so so every 30 or 40 years, essentially, really once in a lifetime, each hedge has to be rejuvenated. But you will have lots of stems in that hedge because you haven't splattered it to the same height. So the, inc- the idea of incremental trimming, I, I really would recommend. And if you've got an over-trimmed hedge, it's really a bit thin, but lots of stems. As soon as you back out from that, you'll notice the health of the hedge really starts to improve. And of course, if we go back to the carbon storage, um, it's when you've got a healthy hedge that it's most successfully sequestrating carbon. When uh,
0: when you're discussing um, trimming, coppicing, laying there, for the listeners, can you just give an overview of, of what you're meaning when you're, when you're using those terms?
1: Yes, OK. Well, coppicing um, is actually more of a woodland term, actually. There's lots of coppice woodlands in the south of England where... Um, uh, Hazel and sweet chestnut were produced to make sheep hurdles and that kind of thing and thatching spars. So it's effectively a cutting of a shrub to to the base to the ground and then allowing the regrowth to come up. So you might start off with a single stem in a in a in a hawthorn plant that you've planted, um, and then once you've cut it to ground level, then it would throw up half a dozen or more individual stems off that same stump. And then if you do that on rotation, that's called a coppice rotation. So it's effectively cutting something to ground level it's quite a shock to the ecosystem of a hedge because of course there's nothing left there at the end of the day but it does rejuvenate a hedge and starts off that life cycle again and also there's a growing interest in um, taking firewood from hedges using hedges as a as a a source of firewood you'd have to leave them a little bit longer 20 25 years maybe but um uh, there's a lot of research gone on to um chipping hedgerow um produce and uh, using it in burners, uh, in farmhouses, etc. Um Hedge laying is um, quite an ancient te- technique, which um, if you imagine a, a hedge growing, each stem growing vertically, livestock could actually squeeze between the vertical stems, especially lambs, for example. So um, ancient man really soon found out that if you partially cut through the stem on one side, leaving a hinge on the remaining side, and you can then lay over each stem and weave it in between posts. You, you've actually taken all the vertical stems down to a sort of 35, 40 degrees and animals cannot get through that. But at the same time, you've made that cut on the base close to the ground, which is almost like coppicing and the new growth comes up again and it starts this life cycle again. We must always remember with the hedgerows that there is a natural life cycle. And if we if we try and overmanage, that will send the hedge down to this number one score, the ruined hedge. But if we neglect it, it will go up to this number ten. Um, if you look on the HedgeLink website, um, there's a have more information about this one to ten life cycle um, of a hedge. It just helps you uh, helps the landowner see where the hedges are. I think we've possibly lost the ability to read the hedge, um, what it you know where it is in this life cycle. And uh, how do you determine
0: which of these options? trimming, laying, coppicing is
1: most uh,
0: appropriate for for the hedge?
1: Well, trimming is slightly different. Uh, uh, Yes, different with respect. Trimming is your annual management, isn't it, really? It's looking after that hedge. And there's nothing wrong with trimming. I think many people forget the sheer expense of trimming a lot of farmers you know trim their hedges every year and on large farms it can cost some thousands of pounds but nevertheless we we want the hedge trimmed to slow its growth down but not completely stop it by the way but slow it down and create these bushy dense windbreak shelter belt kind of hedges that's what we want So, there's nothing wrong with trimming, but that's more like annual maintenance, as long as we allow the hedge to develop through its life cycle. The other two are forms of what I would call rejuvenation. So, people talk, for example, about restoring a hedge. Um, And I don't particularly like that term because when one restores a house or a car, you're taking it back to perfection and then it's going to stay like that forever. Well, with a hedge, We know, I hope we all agree, that hedges don't stay the same forever. You're merely rejuvenating them. You're starting the circular life cycle off again. And that life cycle can be slowed down through sympathetic trimming for, as I say, 30, 40 years or so. Um, But once in a lifetime, (laughs) you know, a person's lifetime, each hedge should be rejuvenated. And I think we've forgotten that about our hedges, really.
0: And uh, Nigel, so for listeners who may be interested in establishing a hedge can you talk a little bit about species choice and and which particular species you think work particularly well within a hedge
1: yes certainly i mean i think the first thing to say is that species in a hedge depend greatly on your soil i mean it's like any plant isn't it you wouldn't plant a perhaps a chalk loving plant say like i don't know wayfaring tree we have down here uh, on deep clay soils somewhere else so you've got to be aware of uh, what grows around you look at the hedges around you in in many ways uh, and see what grows well Um, if you're on a farm which has what I would call enclosure hedges hawthorn hedges then the obvious thing to do again is to plant hawthorn because you know it grows successfully however these days we tend to want uh, more diversity in the species we choose because we know um, that probably provides more for wildlife, for example, that the fact that some species are blossoming, coming into blossom at different times of the year, forms a kind of progression of a ne- nectar source right through the spring and the summer, um, and the, the different fruits. It's it, it's it's a greater biodiversity that you're offering with a mixed species hedge. Um, I would, however, suggest that people uh, don't go mad on the mixing of their hedgerows. I would personally have hawthorn, as a sort of 60% of the mix, and then start to look around for other things you can put in there according to um the soils that you're on. Please don't plant um this mix in clumps. I come across lots of farms where the guy that's planted the hedges has planted 10 meters of hawthorn, then 10 meters of dogwood and then 10 meters of whatever and it's just a pain to manage. So mix them up as much as you can. Um, uh, what other little tips are there? Things like maple. Just be careful with maple. Well, a lot of maple has been planted in hedges and it outgrows everything else. Maple maple actually wants to become a tree. So uh, uh, just be careful with how much maple you put in. Um, as I said, soil type is what, what you want to do. I wouldn't go more than five species in any hedge, really. We usually plant five plants per metre in an alternate staggered row, which is about, say, 40 centimetres uh, each row is apart. Um... Uh yes, be aware of your soils, I think is, is a very important point.
0: And would it be fair to say that uh, there are some habitats that just do not suit a hedge or, or where having a hedge would not uh, be of biodiversity benefit?
1: I imagine that there are, um, and I'm not perhaps too familiar with those um, habitats, but where land is very open um where ground nesting birds perhaps are present i know a lot of people worry about hedgerows because they're going to sort of um become effectively perches and shelter for sort of um corvids and 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 animals that are going to predate on the ground nesting birds um so so that's an important point um we always talk about hedgerows in terms of connectivity you know it's, it's a very positive thing that hedgerows provide the connectivity through the countryside it's interesting that logically sometimes hedgerows can actually be a hinder to connectivity in the sense that they're stopping some perhaps invertebrates passing through the countryside so we have to be careful as of that as well Um, so always take advice but but as a rule i can only see hedges adding biodiversity but but you know don't run that straight through a habitat which you know is special because of its openness and its um, its history really, be aware of the history of your locality
0: Yes, uh, I ask that question Nigel because here in Scotland we have national priority species yes. and I'm thinking in particular in relation to the agri-environment scheme mm. there's five particular ground nesting wading birds that, that are of particular interest here Um, and i think you you touched on that so so thanks for that do you have any advice for how you go about protecting a newly established hedge
1: yes again it's kind of horses for courses everywhere is different um and there will be different requirements according to the problem that you might be facing you know um i've come across many farms where in a sense the isn't any problems. So there aren't any rabbits. There aren't any deer. Uh, we've just planted the hedge at the side of a fence and left it to its own devices, and it's been fine. But of course, you have to ex- assess the risk that you might be fa- facing. So, you know, the most simple one might be rabbits, um, and then we would put plastic spirals on the uh, on each plant to stop the rabbits nibbling them you might have um deer problems um we have a deer around here the muntjac deer which is sort of everywhere it's a complete pest but you know rabbit spirals aren't going to protect the top tops of the hedge plants against muntjac deer so then we would have to um, assess whether we needed fencing on it Um, i've come across people who have coppiced a hedge and remember that's cutting something to ground level and then planting up the gaps that might be there, and they've used the brash off the coppiced hedge uh, to, to to lay along the line of the hedge, and that in it has um, protected the new growth of new plants. So very much you have to assess. You don't want to be wasting money, you know, um, on unnecessary protection. Assess the risk. What what is the risk? Is, you know, obviously farm animals grazing your hedge. You wouldn't want that. So quite often it's a double fence situation, which has its own problems you're going to have to have water troughs on either side of that that kind of thing um so that's the way to look at it i think um assess the risk and then alleviate that risk by making the right decisions but don't always presume that you have to do these things
0: <laughs> and uh, is there any advice out there nigel for uh, replanting and and gapping up um is this a natural sign that that management could be better or is this something that occurs and and people shouldn't be concerned about
1: are you particularly talking about gapping up perhaps yes, yes. yeah yes um, well no gapping up is very important and i would say it is a sign of bad um historic management you know what what happened to those plants that were in those gaps down here in the lowlands of England a lot you get a lot of gaps which were strangely <laughs> eaten, they were caused by Burning stubble back in the day, where fires went out of control and went through hedgerows, etc. Um, it's good to good to fill those gaps because we want connectivity through the countryside. Um, there is a debate to be had about, you know, if you've got hawthorn hedges, do you fill the gap with hawthorn, or do you get a bit more elaborate and start adding the species? That's that's an interesting one. I tend to plant gaps with whatever's in the rest of the hedge to keep its sort of historical integrity, I suppose. Um, But in general, gapping up is very important. Don't be totally obsessed. A lot of people um, want to plant hedgerow trees. Hedgerow trees are an incredibly important part of a a hedgerow landscape. And and we are losing, we've already lost the elm trees. We're now losing all the ash trees all around us. The ash is the most numeric hedgerow tree that we have. Um, And hedgerows are an important part of that whole hedgerow kind of environment. But if you've got a smallish gap don't necessarily rush to plant it up with hedge plants i think gaps are a great place place to plant trees you can see where they are you know you remember where they are um you know that the hedge trim is not going to come along uh, and swipe the top off because they, they're quite visible um we know that when a tree becomes mature often um there's very um Thin growth of hedge underneath the shade of the tree, anyway, so just occasionally I think small gaps can just think about a hedgerow tree being almost as important as the um as the as the hedge itself and and we always say that you know the ideal hedgerow hedged landscape is really a well managed sympathetically managed hedge, a good field margin at the edge of edges of the hedges and hedgerow trees that's the perfect suite of habitats for for wildlife in a hedgerow
0: good, good. You mentioned habitat linkage there, Nigel. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of habitat linkage across farms and
1: landscapes? Well, I, I mean, I, I do actually think it's a, a very important, um, especially in an arable environment. You know, it's, it's it, can I use the word industrial? You know, it's a slightly industrial farmed landscape. Often, um, what chance is there of of, of species, um, you know, from from birds to mammals to invertebrates moving across that landscape? Really, when you think about it. Um, and and hedgerows certainly provide that cover and food source that that takes species a, across a landscape. And bees, for example, have been found to use hedgerows to navigate um, around the countryside, backwards and forwards from their their nest to the to the source of food that they're on at that time. But the bats also use hedgerows to navigate around the countryside. Um, so very very important uh, connectivity. And when you're looking at your farm try and look at it with those eyes you know how can i join that bit of woodland up with that other bit of woodland or well that hedge just stops in the middle of nowhere you know what's where is it going what is the connectivity and again we talk about predators you know cover from predators is very important um in the countryside you're not going to cross open land if you are if you're going to be hit by a predator from the air kind of thing so connectivity is very very important indeed
0: and uh, this is maybe a good time to to plug this but uh, the farm advisory service for scotland did a series this year on promoting pollinators um so we do have materials out there particularly on creating the correct habitat for beneficial insects um and uh, and, and like i said promoting pollinators more generally
1: just like to tell a little story if i may um... yep a friend of mine in Devon, this gives you an idea of the biodiversity can be in a hedge. A friend of mine in Devon, he's a bit of a naturalist himself. And um, he decided to count all the living organisms really in a, in a length of hedge, a random ninety meters of hedge on his Devon farm. And okay, Devon hedges are quite rich anyway, but he set about to seeing anything that was alive from plant to lichen, to mammal, to bird. And the birds couldn't just be flying over. They had to um, be present in the hedge, everything that he could possibly find. And he, Embarked on this, and he was, he's pretty good. And he sailed past 500, and he sailed past 1,000. And it started getting a bit more difficult, but he sailed past 1,500, sailed past 2,000 species. started getting really difficult. You had to send off micro moths and macro this and tiny spiders and things off to the Natural History Museum. But he's now passed 3,000 species in this 90-metre section of hedge on his farm. I find that absolutely amazing.
0: No, that, that sounds fantastic. Yeah, great great stuff and uh, nigel just to to kind of bring this to a close i, I ask this uh, of everybody who comes on the podcast with me is there anything happening within the industry right now um specifically with regards to hedges that you think more people should be paying attention to um anything that you want to to spotlight um while you're on with us
1: i'm going to be very generalist here, to be honest with you. I just think the growing importance, the growing awareness of hedgerows in the last 15 years has just taken my breath away, really. I'm being asked to do talks and, you know, these kind of things all over the place. It's that awareness that suddenly people have got of this super simple, natural, well, I'll take that back, not natural, man made, but you know what I mean, these corridors of wildlife and shelter and potential carbon stores that we've got running across our land and the awareness that everybody suddenly thinks, gosh, I better look after them, you know, these are important. And I think they are so important. So that's that's what I would draw uh, people's attention to. And we are all custodians of the countryside after all. And I think we have to look after our hedges for future generations because they're gonna continue being so important.
0: Brilliant. Well, um, thank you very much for, for coming on with us. Uh, can I just ask Nigel, do you have anything um, of your own going on right now that you want to signposts to? Is there anything that uh, that you think the listeners should be made aware of?
1: Uh, perhaps um, not not a personal thing, but I'd like to draw their attention to the Hedge Link page. Uh, hedge Link being one word, um, it is an absolute goldmine of information on all sorts of things to do with the hedgerow, and um, I would point people towards that. I think it's a great um, asset.
0: Nigel Adams, thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure.